Now, the making of a good compilation tape is a very subtle art. Are you ready? Yes. No, babe, are you ready? Do you know what a cassette is? Play it. Don't you want to hear what's next? I don't hear any music. I made that tape special for today. So, music? A show where we basically create a mixtape for you, like we did in the 90s. I just, I thought this tape was going to be a conversation stimulator. Cassette, cassette, cassette. Welcome to the mixtape. Every week we are serving up an hour-long mixtape. 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 90.3 KRNU, welcome to the mixtape. We have been neglecting our duties this summer because, you know, got away from us. It's been a heck of a summer. But we're back with a new episode this week, and we are talking about famous producers. We've been doing producer mixtapes, not as many as we should have. Right. As previously noted. Mm-hmm. Well, we've you know. been, you know, out watching bands play and stuff like that. That's so, right. So, you know, I consider it research. Yeah, it's all show prep, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, less of a consistent schedule, but I am a teacher, so keep in mind, summers get a little weird around here. <laughs> so, uh, this week we're talking about... One of my favorite producers, just in terms of, like, sheer attitude, and that's Steve Albini. Oh, yeah. Steve Albini, as a producer, he's a musician first and foremost, and I think he produces that way. Absolutely worth a Twitter follow. Yeah. I'm, I don't follow him. Do I need to do that? You do. Do it now. Okay. I want to yeah, hear it I'll, happen. I'll look it up. He was famously in Big Black, which is kind of the punk band that he's known for. I'm sure he's been in a million other bands, too, because, you know, musicians. But Big Black is a punk band based out of Chicago. He owns and produces and engineers from Electrical Studio in Chicago. That's his studio. He famously favors analog recording technologies, so like mixing consoles and tape recorders and lots of outboard sound effects. He's not really a Pro Tools guy. Looked him up on Twitter. I did the follow, and I'd expect nothing less. No blue check mark. No, no, absolutely not. No. He hates that sort of yeah, thing. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want your blue check mark. <laughs> he's not uh, really a a pop guy. He's more of a punk guy, but he's produced sure. a lot of a lot of different kinds of music. He's just really not a commercial guy. Yeah. I think is is right. what you would say about Steve Albini. He likes things that are you know interesting. Mm -hmm. He likes things that are authentic in a world that uses that word way too much, but like a a realness. He doesn't like all that slick stuff. Right. And he's pretty outspoken about the record industry. And he, uh, this is one cool thing about Steve Albini. And then I promise we'll get into some music, but he doesn't take ongoing royalties for producing. Oh, he he just does like a flat fee. Yep. He just gets paid. He likes the fixed payment. Um, So if we came up with some cash, he could produce our record. He would. If we had a record. Yeah. I mean, he might think. Uh, No, he could say no. (laughs) He could say no. He could say no. But he's not a royalties guy. I think his vibe is like, I'm doing a job that, um, you know, will then be done. But the artist is the artist and the artist Mm -hmm. deserves to make money off of of their music. It's not my not my music. So that's pretty great. So we're just going to get into it. And I'm going to kind of go chronologically with Steve Albini starting in the 1980s and probably one of the most famous kind of iconic albums that he worked on, which is the Pixies Surfer Rosa. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Debut studio album from the Pixies, March 1988. Come on, Pilgrim was the Pixies album before, but it wasn't like a full record. I think it was an EP. Surfer Rosa was the first full length, though, and a really big deal. You know, the Pixies, I was never like... Or just Pixies. That's another thing. Oh. The Pixies? Pixies. Pixies. Well, I clearly can't wade into that pool, but I will tell you my relationship with the Pixies 
is one as recognizing them as foundational to much of the music that I organically came to like because I was not cool enough to just like the Pixies. Not in 1988. You were eight. Right, exactly. So, you know, I came of age with Nirvana and all these bands that were copying what the Pixies did with the Quiet Loud deal and um, the Pixies. And the deal deal, which we'll get to in a minute. (laughs) Hey, the deals. But yeah, so... You know, I, I recognize them as a foundational act that inspired a lot of the music that I kind of came to like organically. But now I can go back and listen to those records and be like, oh, yeah, I just like this. It's yeah. just good. What's your favorite Pixie Jam? I like Gigantic. Speaking of the deal deal. Yep. You know, they do some tasty covers, too. I mean, Here Comes My Girl is super good. It and- is. You know, they're they're just awesome. First song of the show, we're going with Where's My Mind. It's undeniable. Where's My Mind is like up there with, and I know it's having a big resurgence right now, but running up that hill and those kinds of songs that were beloved by a certain crowd at that time, but weren't huge smash out of the parks. But um, Where's My Mind is often covered and pretty great. I think you're going with The Pixies. I'm going with Pixies. And then that way, nobody can add us. Again, tweet at us. Tell us who's wrong. It's Dan. Here's Pixies. Where is my mind? It's the mixtape on 90.3 KRNU. Stop.
90.3 KRNU, The Breeders. And that one was glorious. We are doing a Steve Albini mixtape. Started off with Pixies, uh, referenced The Deal Deal, and then went right into The Breeders, which of course (laughs) is Kim and Kelly Deal's band. And they're the real deal. And they're the real deal from (laughs) Dayton, Ohio, The Deal Sisters. Kim Deal and Tanya Donnelly from Throwing Muses formed The Breeders originally. So Throwing Muses was kind of like on a hiatus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pixies were on a hiatus or, you know, there's whatever drama, everything. And then they they decided to do kind of a side projecty thing together. Uh, 4AD, which is the label that did Surfer Rosa for the Pixies, gave uh, Tanya Donnelly and Kim Deal 11 grand to make an album okay. with their band, The Breeders. And they asked Steve Albini to record the album because, of course, he had done Surfer Rosa. The Breeders didn't have a drummer. So Steve Albini suggested Britt Walford of Slint. And then um, that's how the first record got made. So nice. that's pretty cool. Pod. The song was glorious. Kurt also loved that one. Oh, nice. Kurt Cobain is a big Breeders fan, big Pixies fan. He actually was a huge fan of a lot of female-fronted rock bands, and that was kind of a cool thing that is being forgotten now in the 90s is how... Like all these big rock bands were kind of super progressive, you know, gender identity and things like that. And I really think that's actually why we got post grunge rock and what is now deemed butt rock (laughs) that we did of the late 90s was sort of a backlash to. I mean, if you see old pictures of Kurt Cobain and frankly, all of those folks in the Mm -hmm. scene, there was a lot of gender bendiness. There was a lot of um, just being really kind of open with sexuality and being Mm -hmm. really open with with gender roles and just being sort of cool with everybody. And then just like every movement has a backlash, that movement has a backlash where we get into this real sort of rock space right limp bizkit and the the predicate to new metal but not even just new metal but you know all of those kinds of bands that went hyper hyper masculine yeah uh which i am not a fan of <laughs> so there's that there's that i mean comparatively speaking right i'll take dave grohl in a dress <laughs> over whatever that dude from buck cherry's name is what's that guy's name i figured you would know you can't tell me you've never seen buck cherry I'm sure I have. <laughs> Not on purpose. I've never seen Buck Cherry on right. purpose. Like at a, something you Festival lineup, maybe, but I've never seen Buck Cherry on purpose. All right. So the Steve Albini mixtape rolls on into the 90s, which is really where I think we get a lot more of these female artists. Like you said, then we have, to my mind, one of the most underrated female artists of the decade, and that is one Polly Jean Harvey. My initial thought when you brought her up is that in... 10 to 15 years, one of her songs is going to be on some show that kids really like, and it's really going to spur her career all over again. Right. She's going to be the next TikTok thing. Yeah, she's going to be yep. the next Kate Bush because I love it. the music was fantastic, and there were plenty of people who liked it, but you know, it just stayed outside enough that it never became a huge phenomenon. And her music, much like Kate Bush's, when you go back, listen to it compared to other things at the time, it feels more timeless. And she's a multi-instrumentalist. And I think you do get those kinds of things from these artists that play lots of different instruments because you start to bring in all of these. I I feel this way with Tori Amos too, where you start to bring in influences from different kinds of music that's not just sort of straight down the line rock. Mm -hmm. 
PJ Harvey definitely has that. She, yeah. she does all of that stuff. She put out Dry in 92, which had a little bit of international success, but no major hits. And then she played uh, Reading Festival in 1992 and signed to Island. So she was on a big, big record label. And so they began work on Rid of Me, which is the mm-hmm. first album that people really know PJ Harvey from. And Steve Albini worked that one. Rolling Stone wrote that... Quote, it is charged with aggressive eroticism and rock fury. It careens from blues to goth to grunge, often in the space of a single song. I had to quote Rolling Stone there because that's exactly what yeah. I would say much yeah, less articulation. It's all the things. Mm-hmm. PJ Harvey is all the things. It is cited as one of the greatest albums of all time, and I know you listened to the greatest albums I of did. all time. Listen to it. Do you think dudes are scared of people like PJ Harvey? I would say A lot of dudes probably are, just speaking for myself here, have always uh, been attracted to women like that, that were kind of powerful and expressed themselves artistically. That's always been kind of a move for me. So, Do you think Buck Cherry feels that way or (laughs) maybe not as much, not as much about Buck Cherry? I think that's what Crazy Bitch is about. (laughs) I think it's about the opposite of that. (laughs) Yes, Crazy Bitch is about 50 foot Queenie, which is... Is what we're gonna play right now. This is PJ Harvey on the mixtape on 90.3 KRNU.
KRNU. Uh, that was Shimmer Like a Girl from Veruca Salt, if you are listening to uh, the show on KRNU. But if you're catching this on Spotify, you didn't hear it, because Spotify doesn't have it. Come on, Spotify. Sorry about it. I, I mean, I what listen. Are we, what are we paying premium for? I didn't make the choices. <laughs> they have lots of Veruca Salt songs, but as right. well you know, Veruca Salt only had one record produced by the great Steve Albini, yeah. which is the mixtape we're doing right now, and that was the EP in between American Thighs and Eight Arms to hold you called blow it out your ass it's veruca salt so he produced that one for them it remains my favorite veruca salt record just because it's fun uh american thighs was produced by brad wood eight arms was produced by bob rock all right yeah and so it's a weird progression thing right Mm -hmm. because you've got brad wood and this very indie very rough around the edges vibes and kind of a poppy vibe and then blow it out your ass is a lot more it has a lot more dynamic range. Yeah. More screaming. There's more feedback. A lot more punk rock aesthetic yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And then you get into Eight Arms, which is just Arena Rock Central. Yeah, it is. If you're listening on Spotify, you didn't get to hear that song, but, you know, Google it. <laughs> yeah. Sure, like a girl. Exactly. It's a good one. Time for Nirvana. Well, he he produced in utero, correct? He did. He produced yeah. in utero. And and I believe they recorded it in a very short time period. They did. And that is a Steve Albini mm-hmm. trademark. Yeah. He doesn't like to take too much time and be too precious with it. And he also doesn't like to give the band a lot of direction mm-hmm. in the studio. He just doesn't think that's his role. Nirvana famously didn't like Nevermind. Yeah, they were a little shocked by the slickness of it. And that's Butch Vig. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Butch Vig is a great producer. Amen. But that's not what Nirvana was going for. Right. I mean, Steve Albini just embodies what Nirvana was going for, right. especially Kurt was going for. Yeah. So Steve didn't really like Nevermind either. <laughs> <laughs> but he felt like the record company was the reason he didn't like it. Yeah. Like the record company was driving that slicker sound and Kurt wanted to work with him because he had produced some of Kurt's favorite records. Sure. Steve wanted to work with Nirvana because he felt like the reason Nevermind sounded the way it did was management and record company directed and not band directed. Right. Worried about interference from DGC at the time. So they paid for the two week sessions themselves. The band just paid for the sessions with Steve Albini and Steve took a flat fee of a hundred thousand dollars and no royalties off the back or anything like that. hundred thousand dollars to make it. He let Kurt make a bunch of the decisions. The label ended up not loving in utero and there was kind of a lot of, 
infighting yeah. and stuff about that. And ultimately, the label let Scott Litt take a crack at some of the songs, like All Apologies and Heart Shaped Box okay. were reworked by Scott Litt. But not everything. I was going to say, those are my two least favorite songs from In Utero. <laughs> really? What's your favorite song from In Utero? Oh, goodness. Um, probably Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. Well, that's a great song. Should we play that instead? <laughs> well, we can play whatever. I but... had dumb slated, but if you want to play that one, let's play that one. I, I like it. Let's do it. Okay. Here's Nirvana with Frances Farmer. We'll have her revenge on Seattle. Longest name in the Nirvana catalog yeah. <laughs> on the mixtape on 90.3 KRNU. Yes, I'm relieving. Now that you're leaving, Sarah.
93.3 KRNU Super Chunk, and that was Throwing Things. So we're working on the Steve Albini mixtape here because we're talking about producers this summer, and Steve Albini is a fave because there's just something so, like, middle finger about the entire way Steve Albini produces, is, operates, tweets, you know, all the things. And so uh, Steve produced for Super Chunk, who's from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, a big place for music in the 90s. And people might know Super Chunk from Merge Records because Mac and Laura from Super Chunk founded Merge. So they were inspired by Sub Pop and kind of wanted to do their own mm-hmm. record label thing. They were on Matador, a different indie at the time, but then they founded Merge Records. So anywho, they had their self-titled album in 1990 and they had a couple major label offers, but they were like hard pass. <laughs> so no, no surprise here. They wanted Steve Albini to produce their next record. There we go. And the album is No Pocky for Kitty. Came out in 1991. Pocky is the the little sticks, mm-hmm. the Japanese sticks. And they put out a bunch of records since then. So there you go. Awesome. Super chunk. Yeah. Dig them. Time for Helmet. My transitions are on point. You can tell we haven't done a show for a couple weeks because I'm just like, Helmet. I just helmet like time. say the word. Helmet. It's Helmet time. I don't have any wise words about them, but I will say that they are definitely on the list of bands that I'm like, I need to go listen to more Helmet. Because the songs that I've heard, I'm like, oh, that kicks a lot of butt. It's awesome. It's loud. I should listen to more of that. It is loud. It's a little less, it's a lot less punk and indie than some of the things that we've played. It's a little more metal, but there's like a sludge. I was going to say, would hardcore be a a term that applies? I mean, I don't, see, when I think of hardcore, I I think of like Minor Threat and Fugazi and all that kind of stuff. I don't think of Helmet. Helmet's more metal. It is definitely more metal. Yeah. I don't want to call them sludge metal. They're not sludge metal, but there's something very like the sludginess of grunge. Yeah. But a very metal yeah. sound. And, and you know, I, I kind of think maybe there's a Venn diagram there with Pantera and um the Josh Homme. You're talking about Caius? Caius, yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean Caius is obviously more grooved out and jammy, but Yeah, they are, but I think that is also a factor of like where in the country they were. Because right. of course Caius, you're talking about desert. Yeah. You're yeah, talking about outside like LA. The deep Yeah. Desert. And so you're gonna get more groove out yeah. there than you are on the East Coast. Paige Hamilton, the lead singer and guitarist, he's really the the member of Helmet that people know. And he's the only consistent Mm-hmm. member of the band too. So after Nevermind, labels were like, we need more of this. <laughs> Who does this already? Right. So Helmet, they had been around since the 80s. Let's <laughs> fit Helmet into this box. We're going to make them the biggest band ever. I feel sort of that same way about the Melvins, that yeah. everybody just like wanted to make them sure. something that they weren't ever going to be. And um, so their second record was Meantime, worked on by both Steve Albini and Andy Wallace. But you, you can see when you listen to Helmet, you can tease out sure. the alternative metal stuff like you can see, mm-hmm. hear roots of like the deftones and those yeah. kinds of bands there too so so this is helmet in the meantime on the mixtape on 90.3 KRNU <laughs>
93.3 KRNU. Welcome back to the mixtape. It's the Steve Albini mixtape this week. He is a producer uh, based in Chicago. He was in uh, a couple bands, Big Black most notably, and he's just sort of generally kind of a, I, I want to say curmudgeon, but I don't mean that in a bad way. It's in like a perfect Gen X-y way. Yeah, he's uh, just not going to he, suffer he's fools. He's a salt. He, he's, yeah. you know, he, he is the perfect Gen X poster boy. Right. Until they all, you know, went red and stormed the Capitol. But that's a whole other story. Not, St- not Steve Albini. Not Steve he Albini. was not an insurrectionist. I'll say that about Steve Albini. I mean, in the perfect Gen X way of like, he's not going to tolerate anything that is too commercial. He's not going to tolerate any of this like influencer trash. He's not that yeah. guy. Oh, None no. of this stuff no, no, no. is for Steve Albini. I'm pretty sure he walks the world every day like, what? About everything he sees. Oh, yeah. And I love that. (laughs) So the song you just heard was The Stooges, My Idea of Fun. That's a very late Stooges album. Steve Albini produced that for them. And uh, people know The Stooges because they know Iggy Pop. (laughs) And we've talked about Iggy Pop on the show before, but I do love that Iggy Pop's parents let him have the master bedroom so he could have his drum kit in there. That's awesome. Because I feel like you don't get Iggy Pop without somebody giving you a tremendous amount of confidence. Very young. To be yourself. You know, not to go on a whole tangent, but that totally is just my thing with the Stooges altogether because they're from like suburban Detroit. Yep. And I think by most accounts had pretty standard 1950s, early 60s upbringings. And then they were just like, how about no? (laughs) How about we do something totally different? But in the 60s in Detroit, a lot of things were going on. Well, yeah, of course it was. So I I don't know exactly what kicked them off, uh, but... I think confidence plus drugs plus punk equals... The Stooges. They, they very easily... Proto-punk, All those guys could have easily just have got laid off by GM in 1976, <laughs> and you never would have heard about them again. But instead, they formed the Psychedelic Stooges, mm-hmm. which is a proto-punk band. You know other proto-punk bands like the MC5, also from Detroit. There was something in the water up there. <laughs> and now there's something else in the water. But that's a totally different thing and a failure of our government. <laughs> So the Stooges broke up, um, not surprisingly, but then they reunited several times in the 70s. There's a lot of drug use there. Iggy Pop, David Bowie, you know, everybody knows the stories. Andy Warhol and Lou Reed and it was a scene. Right. Um, But the Stooges reunited in 2003 and then they put out uh, this record called The Weirdness that Steve Albini produced. It was their fourth album, despite having been a band on and off for like four decades. And of course, Iggy Pop did his own solo stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the Stooges is proper that that's a uh, pretty rare bird there there's a few bands like that that their catalog is incredibly tiny compared to their legacy sure i mean certainly the sex pistols is like the glowing example of that but Mm -hmm. the stooges definitely fall in that category Mm -hmm. so uh steve albini works with nagy pop Mm mm-hmm Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, how did this not happen till the 2000s? Oh, you're kidding me. He didn't choose, like, Babyface. <laughs> no. Another rad-ass band from across the pond, as it were, is Manic Street Preachers that he worked with. And Neil Obermeyer and I talked about Manic Street Preachers oh, yeah. a, a great deal on the 1998 Britpop oh. show. So if you're interested in that sort of yeah. thing, check out that show. Totally. Manic Street Preachers are Welsh. They are punk and alternative and rock, and they were big in the 90s, but especially in the UK. Steve worked with Manic Street Preachers on their ninth album, Journal for Plague Lovers. This is so nuts. Okay. Manic Street Preachers have a band member named Richie Edwards. 
He disappeared in 1995. Just disappeared. He took some money out of the bank. Mm-hmm. He went to the train station and he parked his car. They found his car, but he was like never seen again. Presumed dead. Totally disappeared. My gosh. They um, officially declared him dead in 2008, but uh-huh. they never like found out what happened. Wow. He's just like a disappeared man. Wow. Anyway, after he disappeared, everybody thought he was dead. Manic Street Preachers put out this album that has only lyrics, posthumously published lyrics from Richie Edwards. Wow. So that's interesting. It's the only Manic Street Preachers album in which there are lyrics for every song written only by Richie Edwards, who wow. had long disappeared by then. Very interesting. I know. Yeah. I was waiting for the punchline, and he came back on this And album. he was like, hey, you guys got to pay me for that. No. No, wow, he didn't that's come back. crazy. Disappeared. Richie Man, Edwards. How do you do it? Manic Street Preachers, this one is called Peeled Apples on the mixtape on 90.3 KRNU. You know so little about me. What if I turn into a werewolf or something?
90.3 KRNU. We stayed over in the UK for that last one on the Steve Albini mixtape. Uh, that was Jarvis Cocker and Angela. So Dan, my husband, is here. We're talking about the production stylings of one Stephen Albini. Jarvis Cocker, if you recall who Jarvis Cocker is, yeah. lead singer of Pulp. Mm-hmm. Very, like... 90s Brit flag, all of that so, kind of stuff. So did Albini just, did he move to Britain for a while or? I mean, I don't have any definitive, like, mm. how did this happen with Manic Street Preachers and Jarvis Cocker? Um, but this is all in the aughts that he's doing this. Yeah. So my best guess is that these artists, Manic Street Preachers, Pulp, those kinds of bands who had had huge 90s success mm-hmm. are still making music, but they're not huge. They're not yeah. selling a ton of records. They don't have big record label support to throw out, you know, Missy Elliott money. Mm-hmm. Not that Missy Elliott was going to produce for Jarvis Cocker anyway, but, you know, so now there's it's a different funding well, thing. Yeah. And Steve Albini, the way he works is he works fast. He doesn't take a bunch of royalties off the back. And he has this incredible reputation for just being like kind of a no bullshit guy. Mm-hmm. I'm almost positive that all of those bands that were popular like in the 80s and 90s kind of appreciate the analog of it all. Yeah, they they probably were at a place in their lives where they just wanted to play some music and and have some fun and if you think of uh the United States at that time, you know, it was total TRL mania. I, I I bet Steve just felt like he didn't have a home anymore. Sure, Jarvis Cocker felt like he didn't have a home right, anymore yeah, too. Exactly. So, so they found each uh, other. Yeah, people find each other. And I mean, Pulp's a cool band, and uh, they had a very. It's a different kind of punk rock in the yes. UK than it is in the yeah. US. Yeah, that's my best guess. This is our 
That's this hypothesis is what, right. on Steve Albini and Jarvis Cocker. This episode is called "My Best Guess About Jarvis Cocker." <laughs> so, last but not least, because I, I'm trying to go in chronological order here, because most of what people know about Steve Albini is probably from the '90s, but he very much still works and, mm-hmm. and produces for people. So, this one is from 2012, and the band is called Cloud Nothings. They're an indie band from Cleveland. Do you know about Cloud Nothings? Um, I know that I have heard some of their music. It comes up on my Spotify's they they've removed Old Veruca Salt and put in Cloud Nothings. Well, I'm going to say that that's a step backward, not because I don't <laughs> like Cloud Nothings, but anyway, No, I, I have heard some of their music. I like it. So Dylan Baldy started this project that then became Cloud Nothings. Um but he's super young. Oh no. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, I know I knew you would. <laughs> I knew you would hate it. How young are we talking here? Is he 25 at least? 2009 he was in college. So it's okay. okay it's okay. okay. That's a tolerable amount of youth. Okay. <laughs> and then he formed Cloud Nothings and and did this whole thing. So that's very cool, right? Yeah, totally. So uh the last song we're going to do from the Steve Albini mixtape is Cloud Nothings. This is Stay Useless on 90.3 KRNU. 